0: Um, welcome to this uh, CME Symposium. It's going to be on best practices for addressing calcification in the critical limb ischemic patient. I'd take, like to take a moment just to thank um, Shockwave for sponsoring uh, this symposium. As you can see these are are my um, colleagues here and we have a very astute panel. Um, we have Dr. Andrew Holden here to my left Next to him is Dr. Michael Lichtenberg, and then Theo Bistis. Um, Thank you all for attending. These are our disclosures, which aren't relevant. In terms of the program information, this is provided by the North American Center for Continuing Medical Education, which is an HMP company, and again, is supported by an educational grant from Shockwave Medical, which we thank them. The learning objectives for this uh, symposium will be to effectively identify and appropriately treat a complex and calcified lesion of the lower extremity, understand the benefits, risks, and appropriate uses of various devices and treatment approaches, and lastly, to address the difficulties faced by the interventionalist when treating calcification, especially below the knee. So, to begin, there are several challenges with critical limb ischemia. First of all, there are three epidemics, not just in the United States but worldwide. First, the population is getting older. In fact, the fastest growing age population in the United States are those older than the age of 65, especially those older than the age of 80. Diabetes. One out of four Americans now have diabetes over the age of 65 and then if you look at renal insufficiency, that's, the, that, that's the, the number one cause of renal insufficiency is diabetes. When you mix all three of these epidemics together, it leads to the worst of the worst peripheral arterial disease, critical limb ischemia. What does that mean? Typically these vessels are calcified, they're multi-level and include chronic total occlusions. I'd like to now switch over to Dr. Andrew Holdren, who's going to be discussing intravascular lithotripsy, the mechanism of action.
1: Yeah, thanks, George. Uh, A very interesting uh, technology that's really changed our practice. So lithotripsy itself has been available for over 30 years with uh, a lot of experience treating treating primarily urinary tract, uh, calcium, renal stones. We know that the sonic Pressure waves with lithotripsy are hard on calcium, disrupting calcium, but leave soft tissues undisturbed. And really that's a feature that was used uh, very effectively to develop a miniaturised transcatheter lithotripsy system, cardiovascular lithotripsy, pioneered by Shockwave Medical. So in terms of peripheral intravascular lithotripsy, what are the key components? Well, you can see here there's a generator and a uh, intravascular lithotripsy connecting cable uh, and they're obviously u- reusable for each for, for all procedures but then there is for each procedure a sterile catheter. In the peripheral arterial system these are 014 inch guide wire compatible. We have a uh, 6 centimeter long catheter for the femoropopliteal segment and a 4 centimeter long catheter uh, for the below the knee disease. Within each catheter are multiple uh, lithotripsy emitters with an integrated angioplasty balloon. So you can see when we use this, the generator produces charges that travel through the connecting cable to the emitters. The emitters cause a burst of charge which uh, causes gas bubbles to appear in the fluid-filled angioplasty balloon. You can see these gas bubbles expand and collapse to produce sonic pressure waves that are delivered through the fluid-filled angioplasty balloon into the vessel wall, hard-on calcium, so producing microfragmentation of both the intimal and medial layers, and this is particularly relevant, medial calcification, uh, microfragmenting and changing the compliance of the vessel wall. You can see the emitters are uh, producing a field change throughout the length of the angioplasty balloon. Here you can just see on a bench this uh, gas bubbles expanding and collapsing to produce those sonic pressure waves. This is unfocused uh, lithotripsy, so we get a 360-degree circumferential effect around the catheter and the vessel wall. So uh, in terms of uh, possible applications for the intravascular lithotripsy, well, we've gained experience with uh, various types of calcium, not only the usual concentric calcium but eccentric calcium. Uh, The device in the peripheral arterial disease, as mentioned, has been used in claudicants and critical limb ischemics, also been used in the coronaries for calcified coronary artery disease. And as time has gone on, we've developed experience in many other applications such as uh, mesenteric renal and iliac calcified disease. We're learning that while this can be a, a standalone procedure, it's increasingly being used with adjunctive therapies, be it things like drug-coated balloons, uh, stents, covered stents, atherectomy devices and the like. Uh, there's really been already a collection of extensive experience for peripheral arterial occlusive disease, starting off with the early first in human work and then the disrupt PAD1 and 2 series of 95 patients treated uh, in 2014 and 15 a small uh, efficacy and safety uh, trial below the knee that disrupt BTK and then the very large randomized controlled trial uh, in the calcified femoropopliteal artery patient group where patients are randomized to either a plain balloon followed by uh, Uh, drug-coded balloon, or intravascular lithotripsy followed by drug-coded balloon. Very important study that's nearing end of recruitment. Now, while Disrupt PAD3 has been going on, uh, where Shockwave has kindly supported the uh, Shockwave PAD3 Observational Registry, 1,500 patients are rapidly uh, being accumulated. I know there's over 1,100 patients already recruited. This is a registry with the angiographic core lab verification, looking at acute angiographic outcomes with intravascular lithotripsy in a whole lot of applications. So the disrupt uh, group of series is uh, completed, and the disrupt PAD3 and registry are still being recruited. Now, how do we know uh, that we're getting some true compliance change in the vessel wall? Well, I think... What we've uh, seen, all of us that have used lithotripsy have seen that we can start to get a balloon to dilate at low at low pressure and no pressure change, where it was initially being constrained by the severe calcium, we apply lithotripsy and the balloon dilates. The only way that can happen is with, by microfragmenting calcium and producing a compliance change. We've also seen changes on ultrasound and optical coherence tomography. Here you can see a focal calcium calcified stenosis. And you can see on the uh, top between 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock the typical uh, OCT appearances of heavy calcification. Post-intravascular lithotripsy, these have completely dispersed and changed with optical coherence tomography. We, uh, we've obviously, in the uh, below the knee, uh, sorry, in the observational registry, accumulated a lot of experience in many locations, including below the knee. You can see here with intravascular lithotripsy in the perineal trunk and proximal uh, uh, perineal artery at very low pressure, we can efface a very calcified stenosis and produce this kind of result. So in conclusion, intravascular lithotripsy with shockwave provides a safe and effective mechanism for disrupting intravascular calcification without compromising adjacent to soft tissues. It has widespread applicability, as I mentioned, not only as a standalone device, but as a vessel preparation technology. I'd now ask Michael to carry on with his presentation. Thanks, Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, we're coming now to uh,
2: the uh, use of the IVL within uh, BTK indication, especially critical limb ischemia. And what we definitely know is we have a different world below the knee. We have a lot of technical challenges below the knee. We are talking about a lot of calcium um, burden here. We definitely raised the question how to improve vessel compliance. We are dealing with dissection post-standard balloon angioplasty, plus T maybe we underestimate this even uh, below the knee and the question we need to rise is how can we decrease that and we definitely need to discuss about enough lumen gain as we know enough lumen gain is definitely associated with a good uh, clinical outcome therefore we need to de- definitely talk in these uh, calcified lesions about the proper lesion preparation even in conjunction with DCB and uh, IVL is one of the favorite strategies where I believe this has much value. So calcium associated complications are shown here we are talking as mentioned about dissection, suboptimal hemodynamic outcomes, embolization problems, perforation after standard balloon angioplasty, uh, incomplete stent expansion if you're forced to, and of course of vessel recall. So with all that mentioned, technical success is definitely decrease if we do not care properly about lesion preparation in severe calcified lesion. And these are the typical patients which come to the clinic and needs our attention and need a very good technical success for wound healing. We are aware of the fact that calcification, besides of technical um, Success issues also limits the uptake of paclitaxel, so that means a proper lesion preparation, calcified lesion, needs to be done so that the um of DCBs can definitely work. and and this is something we need to more focus on is that after standard uh, balloon angioplasty especially in calcified lesion we leave a lot of dissections behind and then we definitely do not know is it a flow limiting dissection or not therefore it's definitely good to avoid dissections and we know that POBA standard balloon angioplasty leads to dissection so how can we decrease this problem? Dissection is uh, a problem which was seen in many trials so far when we are looking at the BTK-DCB trials which were published, for instance the Debellum trial or the Impact Deep trial. We are talking about severe dissections in up to 30% of the cases. So how can we avoid significant dissections? One option, and Andrew already mentioned, the mode of action is to use IVL to prepare the lesion and then go for DCB angioplasty um, and hopefully with this combination therapy um, establish a much better lumen gain. Here's a typical case example in a 70-year-old male patient, Rutherford 5. This patient already had a D1 and two amputation, and as you can see here, a new wound came up, and we treated this patient here in the TP trunk. I was guided. With IVL and um, it performed a very good clinical outcome and also a very good technical outcome. I was guided as you can see here after IVL using the three millimeter um, shockwave balloon, we had a very good lumen gain in then um, conjunction with DCB angioplasty using Stellarex four oh eighty millimeter here. This is another case example of a patient um, with rest pain, highly calcified lesion here in the P2 segment, standalone subtotal um, stenosis here. And you see that we used the 5.5 60 millimeter uh, catheter, IVL catheter, to p- perform a calcium, uh, the, um, the bulky strategy here. Before then, we use drug-coated balloon and were not forced to implant a stent we had a very good in and uh, an outflow here you see the final result after DCB good in and outflow on the right side if we and then by chance leave some dissections behind um, we can use uh, low profile um, low Chronic outward force devices today, like a tack implant. So I personally see this in a very good uh, cooperation mode, using IVL as a lesion preparation, followed by DCB and optional tacking if we leave, leave some dissection behind. This will be evaluated in further trials, but I think the um, evidence is definitely emerging for bringing all these devices together. Here's another um, uh, case example where we left um, a dissection after IVL and DCB behind and you can see here on the right side the dissection with a flow limiting problem here in the tibial posterior artery which we then healed. Here the dissection with a tag implantation and we immediately saw a very good in and out flow by healing this flow limiting dissection after IVL therapy and DCB (coughs) therapy. So therefore I think um, a lesion preparation strategy using lithotripsy especially in severe calcified lesion especially also in below the knee uh, lesions is a very valid tool followed by DCB and if needed if a residual stenosis or flow limiting dissection remains then we can go for uh, spot staining using for example the TEC. With that, I would like to conclude for below-the-knee intervention, there's definitely a need to find an appropriate diagnostic modality. We have to think in further trials uh, if IVUS can add here much more value than angio. The optimal uh, revascularization strategy can be made on IVUS much better than angio. And our goal is to achieve optimal lumen gain and, of course, to maintain lumen patency until wound healing. And I personally believe that the lesion preparation strategy with IVL, especially also in BTK lesion, is improving lumen gale and clinical outcome. And with that, I would like to hand over to Theobistis. Thank you very much.
3: I think, George, uh, we have here a nice uh, overview of the intravascular Um I would like to summarize from my side uh, three important things. The first one, as you can see, we are four people here from four different disciplines, and that is the first key message because we're talking about uh, CLI treatment, that this is a multidisciplinary approach. Second important message regarding the treatment of calcified lesions is that the calcified lesions, they have important unmet needs that, uh, of course, intervascular lithoplasis seems um, to um, cover. First of all, is the uh, recall that you have in the treatment uh, of calcified lesions, the uh, risk of dissections, the risk of uh, vessel injury, and sometimes the risk that the stent has not enough radial force to expand uh, completely. Um, so, intravascular lithoplasty seems uh, that it is a game-changer. Uh, it is a new kid on the block that really um, answers to all these uh, unmet needs. And the third important uh, issue into my eyes, because I'm a vascular surgeon, is that at the moment, intravascular lithoplasty is an amazing tool for people that they have uh, really uh, calcified lesions in the common femoral artery, in the iliac vessels. Uh, of course, in the iliac vessels uh, during the treatment of EVAR or even for the cardiologist for uh, transfemoral aortic valve replacement, in the treatment of uh, CFA, I think for people that they're really obese for redo surgery, for post radiation uh, in the uh, groin, these are. Uh, are really indications where the intravascular lithoplasty seems to have a unique added value? Mm. George,
0: no, I agree. Um, so, just sorry this real quick, just so we can go to the next part. Um, so, the other the other component, you know, we always talk about neointimal hyperplasia and restenosis. I believe that another mechanism of failure, especially with calcium, as you're mentioning, is recoil. And uh, to be honest with you, there's very little data uh, regarding recoil. But if you remember, or, you know, we've talked about several of the challenges below the knee, especially in critical and ischemic patients, you know, occlusion versus stenosis, you know, occlusion predominates typically. You have these long, tortuous lesions, and again, extensive calcification. In fact, um, there's been a lot of literature looking at where the calcium is located, and there's more medial calcium below the knee as compared to above the name. As a result, complications occur, especially with balloon angioplasty such as uh, dissections. Uh, There's inability to cross lesions. There's poor vessel expansion. And again, this recoil, I keep coming back to this recoil, because unless we um, address that medial calcium with these microfractures uh, that y'all have discussed that, that we probably do have some failure. Um, in terms of the role of calcium, as you can see in this slide, um, it seems to be more prevalent uh, in, an end, uh, in critical limb ischemic patients. tibial artery calcification is an independent predictor of ischemia severity, wound healing rate, and amputation risk, um, as you can see here to the far right. In terms of medial calcium, again increasingly common below the knee um, as you see here uh, in this slide uh, comparing the anterior tibial, posterior tibial vessels to the femoral. And then this this medial calcification leads to this arterial stiffness, this lack of expansion, acute failure, restenosis and complications. So, current technologies to address these calcified lesions well, balloon angioplasty, uh, which is the standard of care for below the knee disease due to its simplicity and ability for retreatment. However, it produces significant complications and most of the time suboptimal outcomes. In terms of drug-coated balloons, uh, a host of data uh, looking at this, um, there's no patency or amputation benefit versus POVA in five randomized controlled trials that mostly excluded calcium. Um, and again, this drug uptake, if there's not, not these microfractures, uh, limits the, um, is limited by medial calcification. And then how about bare metal stents and drug-eluting stents? The benefit has been shown with drug-eluting stents, such as in with Paradise, uh, in which these were short and minimally, in, uh, minimally calcified lesions. Um, and stent, if you do have to stent or put in this metallic structure, uh, it does limit future treatment options and is typically reserved for bailout after complications. In terms of arthrectomy, um, it reduces but does not eliminate serious complications uh, and it may not uh, impact medial calcification. You considered improvement versus PTA for acute outcomes and there's not a global standard of care due to learning curve and minimal wound healing evidence in CLI patients. Um, uh, There's been some studies, especially in coronary arteries, uh, where OCT has demonstrated calcium disruption leading to acute liminal gain and alteration in vessel compliance in both peripheral and coronary arteries. And then with these calcific aortic valves, micro-CTs demonstrated calcium fractures lending to acute reduction in mean gradient and improved coaptation of aortic valve leaflets. Dr. Holden has shown eloquently uh, with some of his studies using OCT um, in peripheral arterial disease patients that medial calcification is fractured um, with uh, intravascular lithotripsy. So IVL, when it's delivered optimally, used is usually delivered at low pressures, less than four atmospheres. So There is a 1.1 to 1 vessel oversizing, and is and, and is recommended in order to f- facilitate optimal energy delivery. In other words, the balloon is just used to oppose against the vessel wall, and then to use the lithotripsy to cause these microfractures in intimal and medial calcification. It can be used in all vessels, uh, for the most part, in the tibial arteries, ranging. Uh, from 20 to 40 millimeter vessels. I'd like to show a case. This is a case, actually, of mine just a couple of weeks ago. It's a 50 year old gentleman uh, with typical comorbidities: diabetes, kidney disease, hypertension, a previous left below the knee amputation, who actually presented with right lower extremity critical limb ischemia, as you can see here. What's interesting about this case, and, and the angiograms, there was some movement in it, is that all tibials were occluded. Um, we decided to go after the anterior tibial, and as you can see in this middle depiction, there's calcification with the unsubtracted view. There's a needle in place because we're going to actually have to come from an anti and retrograde approach. Ultimately, as you can see to the far right of the slide, we used a double balloon technique, um, refenestrated the lumen, and ultimately performed balloon angioplasty. Now the reason I showed this case, as you can see we had a a nice result uh, here to the far right of the slide with balloon angioplasty. There's been studies, one in particular by Dr. Bowman and Baumgardner, um, a Swiss study, and, and what they showed was is that with tibial balloon angioplasty, that if you waited 15 minutes, there was about a 30% reduction um, in reference vessel diameter, most likely secondary to recoil. So I decided to test this theory in this case. So as you can see here to the far right of the slide, it's a reference point. This was a ruler I actually placed on the patient uh, so I could identify exactly where I treated the lesion. Then after balloon angioplasty, as you just saw, I did um, baseline intravascular ultrasound measurements at each one of these measurements along the ruler. Um, And then I did it at 15 minutes post angioplasty. And then I did it at 30 minutes post uh, angioplasty as seen on the x-axis. As you can see, just taking the reference point at uh, 69, which was the worst, the uh, baseline area uh, was 11 millimeters squared. At 15 minutes, it actually reduced to 8.6 millimeters squared, a change of 2.4 millimeters. At 30 minutes, it actually uh, decreased to 6.7 millimeters squared, so I took it an an additional 15 minutes. The actual change from baseline was about a 40% reduction, which I think is impressive right? And then I did it at each one of these time points and as you can see there's multiple variants but the most important or the, the sing- most significant was about the 40% reduction. So I think using a strategy to prep the vessel is really important um, and this probably is not, is, is additive to restenosis, not independent. Um, this is another case uh, uh, provided by Dr. Sukis of a 91-year-old gentleman, typical comorbidities, um, Uh, developed ulcers on the right hallux, second through fourth toes. CTA revealed an occlusion of all three infrapapalpateal vessels. Scheduled for balloon angioplasty, came in for a second opinion. Ultimately, Dr. Soukis, in regards to the uh, popliteal uh, stenosis and um, in occluded infrapopliteal vessels used a six by sixty IVL followed by a six by one hundred and fifty centimeter drug coated balloon, and the anterior tibial used a three point five by sixty IVL followed by a two twenty balloon, and the posterior tibial used multiple attempts to cross the antegrade were unsuccessful. Eventually used an antegrade retrograde approach, and ultimately you used IVL a three point five by forty followed by a two twenty balloon followed by a drug eluting stent. These are the actual pictures. I think you can appreciate the popliteal stenosis, significant tibial disease, and ultimately uh, he opened up two tibial vessels as you can see here. I'd like to point your attention again to the proximal aspect of the anterior tibial. Um, And what he did was, is he actually waited an hour. And the reason he waited an hour is because he was working on the other tibial and then took a second angiogram. And just angiographically, it shows by the use of intravascular lithotripsy, at least by angiography, there does not seem to be any significant recoil. So in summary, CLI is a growing problem in patients with peripheral arterial disease. Calcification specifica- specifically, medial calcification is common in critical limb ischemia and leads to worsening outcomes. Treating calcific below the knee lesions continues to be a challenge and there's limited data in severely calcified lesions. Balloon angioplasty tends to have higher rates of dissections and need for bailout stenting. Drug-eluting therapies have promised but haven't shown improved clinical outcomes to date. Athrectomy reduces the need for bailout stenting, but risk of dissection embol- embolization remains a concern for many. IVL is designed to treat both intimal and medial calcium, allowing vessel expansion with minimal recoil and decreased occurrence of flow-limiting dissections. Acute infrapopliteal results are safe with minimal vascular complications, including no perforations or clinically significant embolizations. Additionally, 30-day infrapopliteal safety results report no major adverse events, including target lesion revascularization or amputation and disrupt below the knee. So... Dio, um, in terms of your global perspective, um, I think you gave us a really good uh, perspective earlier. Um, uh, so, saying that, uh, I, I, you know, just uh, you know, from your perspective, this theory of restenosis, um, recoil, um, prepping the vessel, um, the importance from your standpoint.
3: Exactly, and the, what we really have to identify is that um, when we are testing a new device into the animals, we are not have any really specific model for calcification um, because what we really treat uh, every day in our CLI patients is completely different on what we are really uh, testing uh, outside the patients. So for the first time, I think we have a new tool that actually Provides something that it is really clear, uh, we have a tool that really breaks. The superficial calcium breaks the media calcium and opens the vessel, and this is, for me, uh, is the only way to treat this kind of patients because, as you said before, atherectomy cannot really reach the media in the way that uh, intravascular lithoplasty uh, does. Um, uh, orbital atherectomy performs a better, let's say, compliance of the vessel, but really does not remove the calcium. We have a new tool in order to open the vessel. And what we really want now to know is if the uh, additional use of paclitaxel will really uh, boost the effect of uh, intravascular lithoplasty or if IVL as a standalone therapy is enough. But with this, having said that, what I really want to uh, highlight here is that you have a tool for the first time that can be a really, that justified the costs. Because there are some specific indications like no stent zones, like really calcified below the knee arteries, or um, calcified iliac arteries, where really uh, the uh, cost effectiveness,
0: you can say, is really in favor of intravascular lithotripsy. Great. Michael, how do we further the field? I mean you know so there's been there's limited data in the periphery we talk about recoil we talk about calcification we talk about restenosis what needs to be done from a research perspective to think uh, to solidify maybe the mechanism or or where we go in the future
2: so I definitely think we need to set up prospective trials which evaluate the safety and efficacy of that combination therapy and the endpoints are wound healing and amputation free survival I think this is this is important, and uh, having said that, we definitely need, as mentioned in my my presentation, to talk. What is the best visualization of that? What can we use? You mentioned OCT. Uh, It's a a great tool. Ivis is a great tool. I think with these new um, tools or with these diagnostic tools, we can learn much better how this. Therapy option works, yeah. And from that point on, not based on angiographic uh, analysis,
0: we can then further evaluate uh, the situation. I think. Yeah? Great, and Andrew, quick question. You know, we've talked a lot about personalization of care, right? And the below the knee is almost like the wild, wild west, we're learning about it, and there's a host of tools that we could use to, to use in different patients, uh, different lesions, uh, different locations of the body. H- how do we figure out what that algorithm is, I mean, wh- if, you, if it was you and you, you had uh, the opportunity to uh, develop this algorithm, how would we start by developing the answers to many of these questions?
1: Well, that's a, that's a really <laughs> tough question, isn't it, because we have such a range of therapies, but. I like the way you outlined, George, this, uh, you know, this epidemic that we're seeing with critical limb ischemia. And as you pointed out, all of our practices have changed dramatically in the last four or five years where we've got patients with problems with diabetes, obesity, chronic renal failure. And they present with critical limb ischemia in this medial and intimal calcification. So the approach I like, the one thing I like about uh, intravascular lithotripsy, not the one, many things, but the fact that it's a simple balloon-based therapy, we've already discussed at length the fact that it's really the only technology that reliably addresses both intimal and medial calcium, which we're seeing with such prevalence. And it also keeps our options open. But I think we've all been impressed with, uh, when we started off thinking, hey, this is just a balloon, you know, how we're going to still have dissections and stents and, and need stents. That's all true, but... The dramatic appearances that we get post-IVL have been very impressive. and I think we've all been impressed with this. I think particularly with heavily calcified below-the-knee disease, an IVL-first approach and then deal with whatever you need to is, is a pretty sound one for a lot of patients. And I think, but as we've said, we don't have enough evidence at the moment. I mean, the observational registry... It's important, but it's purely acute angiographic outcomes. We don't know the information like amputation-free survival or wound healing. And so there is a real need for us to collaborate and try and answer some of those questions.
0: Great. And one last question to y'all. And I, you all, know, and I have a lot of questions I could ask, but <laughs> in terms of you know, biologic therapies, I think we're, we're coming to the crux of it. Granted, there's been some biologic therapies uh, that may, uh, we ha- may have been proven, proven to be deleterious, but biologic therapies, I think, are the wave of the future. How does IVL play into biologic therapy
1: treatment for the periphery? Hmm.
0: Anyone? That's a tough one. Well, it's a tough
1: one. I mean, I think, think, you know, what we've seen both from our clinical experience and imaging is that we are truly changing some anatomy and some compliance changes. And that may well be not only vessel preparation for drug therapies, but other biologics. So I think, uh, you know, there's hope. There's a lot of room to explore that. And I agree with you. I think essentially uh, that's going to be the next generation of therapies. Yeah.
0: And it's amazing. You know, we've looked at anti-elastases. We've looked at anti-inflammatories. We've looked at anti-near proliferative agents. I think the future holds promise for stem cells. Um, I think there's a whole opportunity. And if IVL can actually cause those microfactors and allow us to deliver those agents to the media adventitia, I mean, I think, uh, I think we've got some promise for these patients. So, saying that, um, I, again, I'd like to thank this very astute panel. Um, I've learned a lot. Um, uh, I hope you've learned a lot. I'd like to thank Shockwave again for sponsoring this, uh, this uh, symposium on calcium in general, but a treatment strategy that could hopefully effectively treat these critical and patients, patients, uh, which is an epidemic not only seen in the United States, but worldwide. Thank you again for attending. Thank you. Thanks, you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.